At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, We guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is the Pittsburgh CityCast with Tim Benz, presented by Bet Rivers. Another Pittsburgh CityCast brought to you by Bet Rivers. Jim Benz, Mike Pursuta with you after night one of the playoffs for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Night two of the playoffs overall in the NHL. Many more upsets abound last night than night one, at least based on my look at them. And we are brought to you, as always, by Bet Rivers. Download the app today or go to betrivers.com. Bet Rivers has a special offer through the entire NHL playoffs. Throughout the playoffs, place three same-game parlays of $10 or more on each round and receive a $10 free bet at the conclusion of each round. Think of it as a betting hat trick. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Create your ideal combo with same-game parlays on the BetRivers app or at BetRivers.com. Mike, let's start right there with the Penguins. I wonder if one of the in-game parlays would have been Louis Domingue over under 16 and a half saves. I wonder what kind of odds we would have gotten there. Louis Domingue doing anything but eat uh, spicy pork and broccoli would have been uh, a good bet last night, Tim. Uh, We got a lot to cover with the Penguins, but before we go there, I want to just provide a little table setter here uh, because it has occurred to me recently, and actually it's occurred to me a long time ago, but uh, I wanted to talk about it today. You know, the, the, the sports uh, gaming industry, uh, shall we say, has really grown by leaps and bounds. And there are a lot of our colleagues pushing a lot of different sites all over the airwaves. And they usually say something like, oh, Golden State's playing tonight. Take the over for Draymond Green. And then they give you some offer like when you lose, we'll give you more free bets as, yes. if, you, as if you want the losers. I just want people to know who tune in to this podcast 
Uh, number one, thank you for doing so. And number two, you and I are doing this because we're doing this. Okay. We're not just uh, reading some card and dropping a name. Uh, we're playing. We're, we're in it. We're, we're in the game. And one of the things we've talked about are these uh, parlays where you try to find layup, 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 50-50 game and, and try your luck that way. And I had such a day on Sunday. I uh, just want to recap this because it worked out so beautifully well. Uh, all baseball. Uh, Padres over to Pirates. Cardinals over to Diamondbacks. Uh, Rockies over Cincinnati. Stop me when you find a competitive game. <laughs> Yankees over the Royals. Dodgers, cool. Dodgers over the Tigers. And then the one relative coin flip was the Mets against Philadelphia. The first five hit, the Mets and the Phillies were the night game. So I did the prudent thing, and we've talked about this before as well. I took my uh, 25 to win $306 parlay and hedged it by putting $100 on the Phillies at plus 157 against the Mets, thereby painting myself into a corner where I was either going to win $132 or $206. Now, as it turned out, the Mets won. I would have had the whole 306. But rather than risk losing 25, I made sure it was a winning day. And we've been pumping this since last summer, this theory of, you know, find the weak sisters and pummel them and then, you know, augment it a little bit and, and you can keep the chains moving that way. And it's still working. Yeah. And you can hedge your way all the way to making a nice tidy profit. Uh, speaking of that Sunday that you referenced, Mike, boy, uh, the Padres made us sweat out bet against Mitch Keller Sunday. I didn't like that. You know, Mitch made us sweat it out a little bit. He actually <laughs> he threw well. I got to give him some credit. That's Six what I mean. The Padres and, bats didn't help us out. But, you, you know, the, the whole impetus to bet against Mitch Keller whatever day is, I think it's 44 career starts now, and he's won seven games. I don't know if any other Pirate starter has won one, but I don't know if any anybody has the combination of length in the big leagues with – his team just doesn't win when he pitches. Well, I know he is the first pirate starter in 100 games to complete six innings, yeah. which is a stat that just blew my mind. I mean, they got a doubleheader in Detroit today. I'm not sure what time this is going to get posted, but uh, we'll probably post this right around when the first one's starting. Jose Quintana is pitching for Pittsburgh, and he has not won a game in the major leagues since 2019. Huh. I, bet, bet against Jose okay. Quintana. I mean, Wednesday. And then, uh, since it's doubleheader day, the Tigers are throwing somebody making his big league debut uh, in the second game. I can't even remember the guy's name, but it it it's I have a suspicion in my head. I haven't researched this, so full disclosure. But doubleheaders in the major leagues, it, it's almost always a split, isn't it? Uh, unless and yesterday's the Mets. Did the Mets sweep one yesterday? Yeah, the Mets swept the Phillies. Okay, well there you go. I, I think that's a rare occurrence. I think today I'm gonna. Wait and see who wins the first Pittsburgh. Oh, I'm sorry. The Mets swept the Braves because they beat Charlie Morton in one of the games. My oh. bad. I'm, I'm going to be not deterred by that and uh, wait to see who wins the first Detroit-Pittsburgh game and then bet on the other team in the second game. There's a lot of uh, momentum towards bet against Charlie Morton, whatever day it is, too, by the way. If you want to look at some ex-Pirates who pitched yesterday, um, the Mets won three to nothing over the Braves in the second game. In the first game, they beat them five to four. And Morton is now one and three with a six, eight, five. If you want to keep that around in the back of your brain, the next time his turn comes up in the rotation and the Buccos, oh, I do. And the Buccos uh, former pitcher, Jamison Tyon. Now, Mike, 
He's been part of three of the 11 wins in this streak for the Yankees. He's had two wins and a no decision, and he was very good last night. He's down to 284 ERA, and uh, I think he's two and one. His, his strikeout to walk, I think if you added the two of them up, his strikeout to walk and Jamison, excuse me, Joe Musgrove's strikeout to walk is something like 44 to four or something ridiculous like that this season between the two of them. Yeah, and I'll tell you, another team that's really uh, cooking right now is Minnesota. And uh, they're playing the Orioles tonight, going for a sweep in Baltimore. But uh, the Twins are 15-9. and nine. I think they're 11-1 in their last 12. Uh, they, they, uh, they have heated up. So uh, particularly if they're playing the likes of the Orioles, why not uh, go with the hot team against a team that is so cold it, could, uh, it can't conceive of hot? Can we uh, maybe get in line on starting to take individual game-by-game bets on Josh Bell, who's now hitting? If you see what Josh Bell is hitting, Mike, at this I have point, not. 366. He was three for five yesterday against the Colorado Rockies. Josh Bell has the fourth best batting average in Major League Baseball. Like, even when he was slugging it for the Pirates, he was a home run guy. But if you want to find a multi-hit bet, or just to get one hit, boy, Josh Bell might be the route to go. You know how he likes to swing in May and June. This is his time of year. I'd ride that a little bit. I'd ride the Yankees right now. I'd ride Josh Bell right now. You might want to ride the Mets, too, with the way they're going. The Yankees and the Mets just play the two New York teams as it's going right now until those streaks stop. Yeah, Minnesota, by the way, has uh, one more in Baltimore Thursday. They're not going for the sweep uh, tonight the twins, but uh, yeah, it's all about streaks in baseball. Right. And uh, it's all about find the, uh, find the weak links and uh, the weaklings and pound them. And uh, boy, those Cincinnati red legs, uh, oh. Tim, uh, you know, Mike, three, it's like having an expansion team in the league. It's three, easier than betting against the Kraken. Yeah. Three and 20 is a pretty revealing trend. I think I liked the unders in the Pirates games against the Tigers because the tie, well, at least going into what was now a doubleheader, did the Tigers change up who their pitcher is, or is he going to be a debut guy anyway today? Did we know uh, that? The second guy, I believe, is uh, the debut guy. They are uh, pitching somebody that I heard of in the first game, but uh, did not uh, commit to memory. I'll uh, get on the handy-dandy phone here. and uh, Because and I know that both teams are not allowing a lot of runs so far the Pirates, uh, the pirates and the tigers yeah. and uh, uh, michael pineda is pitching the first game for detroit against yeah. dylan, dylan peters and then the the second game is oh peters uh, doing the what about bryce wilson is bryce sec- wilson- second game's quintana against um fado a fado a fado <laughs> It's either Anthony or Andrew. Or Alex Alan. Fado. There it is. Yeah. Alex Fado. All right. Well, there you go. Uh, there's your look at baseball for today. But I think Mike has to just keep pounding this message. And if he doesn't, I will go against the Reds and become a billionaire. Go, yeah. against, go against the Reds, become a billionaire, and make the right hire at Michigan State instead of what Michigan State did with its hockey coach. Yeah, well, that's all right. They'll be doing that again in another four years. So they'll have another shot at it. But, yeah, and particularly <laughs> with baseball, Tim, the odds are so bad. When you have a really good team, if nothing else, you you protect yourself on these parlays. And, you know, a, a four-team or a five-team or a six-team, or you can look at it and basically figure out three of them right off the bat. And then yeah. it's just a matter of finding one or two. And, uh, 
you know, you hit it once in a while. If you're going 25 bucks at a time and you hit for 200 bucks, now you're covered for eight more shots at it. You're not going to lose all eight. You might win three or four of them. Well, how many more of the next six do the Penguins win against the Rangers? It's a great question, but I'll tell you, my uh, perspective has changed greatly after what I saw last night. Uh, I did not have a good feeling about the Penguins in this matchup. I know Vegas had it pretty much pick them very close. Yeah. Uh, you know, the Rangers were not a profound favorite, but uh, based on how things went in the regular season, I was not optimistic. And the Penguins really um, embraced the kind of hockey that Sullivan's been preaching about forever and the kind of hockey you have to play in the playoffs. And boy, their, their performance almost suggests that they were just sort of treading water there down the, down the stretch in the regular season and not really playing uh, with anything to gain because guess what? They didn't really have anything to gain other than staying out of that wild card spot and cared about that or not. Uh, I saw Washington knocked off Florida. So maybe that wasn't uh, a bridge too far either. The, uh, the NHL leading Panthers, but um, their ability to limit the Rangers scoring chances, I thought was really attention getting. Uh, I keep scoring chances. I have for a long time, as you know, from our days uh, at Robert Morris doing the, the colonials games. Mm -hmm. uh, I have, I have kind of my own system that I've taken from a coach here and a coach there over the years and kind of tweaked it, but I had it through 60 minutes at 23 scoring chances for the Penguins and 15 for the Rangers. And included in that Rangers total, they only had six in periods two and three combined. If they can keep that up, they got a chance to win this thing. And I, I really was not optimistic about their chances to win it heading into it. But uh, that stood out first and foremost. And then uh, the second thing would have to be uh, the way the stars shined, because we haven't seen that in a long time. If Kenny Malkin had gone 21 consecutive playoff games without an even strength goal, and he got the tip in last night in period six, I guess you could say he went 22 games now. Um, you know, Sidney Crosby hasn't done much the last three years. Jake Gensel hasn't done much the last three years. Brian Russ, Chris Letang. I, I know it's taboo to say that around here. When they lose, you have to blame the fourth line left winger or the uh, the, the fifth defenseman. But uh, they got what they needed from their big boys, and uh, they, they played a chance-limiting game, which allowed them to win a postseason game in which the guy that started had never played in the playoffs before, and the guy that relieved uh, had played, what, three NHL games this year and had played one playoff game previously. If you're going to hybrid a couple stats, Mike, one that you like and one that you hate, I still think in this case, it blends the point together and makes it underscores what you're saying. Um, you talked about the scoring chances. I think the scoring chances for and the high danger scoring chances for, we'll just stick with scoring chances yeah. for. So it's sort of like half coursey, half your eyeball scoring chances. You know, I don't do that high danger crap. Yeah, right? I know. So we'll stick with the regular one. But I think when Crosby's line was on the ice versus whoever was on the ice for the Rangers, when Crosby's line was on the ice, 90% of the scoring chances were in their favor and only 10% were in favor of the opposition. Yeah, and as it should be, right? I mean, that's Crosby. Well, maybe, yeah, yeah, but 90% is pretty pretty. It stuff. is, but Crosby, Rust, and Gensel should be expected to dominate, should they not? I can't hear all season long that they're the best line in hockey or one of the best lines in hockey. And then when the games really matter, oh, it's Teddy Bluger's fault when they don't score. I mean, those guys got to figure it out and find a way. 
And one of the ways they found last night was, I think, between periods when Crosby went to take a crap, two Rangers followed him in, in a can. I mean, I yeah. saw you. I well, saw that you. was something, wasn't it? I mean, like, you can't you can't just peel away from Jake no. Gensel. I mean, it's I, one I thing to pay attention to Sidney Crosby. It's quite another to leave a 40, a repeated 40 goal score all by himself. Particularly when Sid is going to be more likely to pass. Yeah, it's not Ovechkin. No, um, I saw you tweeting about that last night, and uh, I talked about it a lot on DVE this morning. The Rangers were clearly, I don't want to say they were terrified of Crosby, but he was their focal point. Uh, their actions tell me that uh, the message from the coaching staff was 87's not beating us. Don't let 87 beat us. We got to stop 87. Uh, they were they were breaking it down. Uh, I don't know what feed you watched, the local one or the ESPN. I opted for ESPN last night. And uh, Mark Messier and Chris Chelios were breaking down the first Gensel goal. Crosby wasn't even in the screen. You couldn't see him. All you saw, he's so far left. You know, if you're looking at it from behind the net, all you saw was two Rangers bailing that way and Gensel standing right in front. Going, Hi, I'm open. Get me the puck. I'll tip it in and then go for an ice cream. <laughs> That's my bad Steve Byrne invitation. I don't know if you've heard his uh, promo. Yeah, I have. I've, yeah. I've, I've heard your impersonation of Byrne's impersonation of Jake Gensel. Yeah, yes. Because, you know, Jake looks like he's 16 or 12. As our colleague whatever. Mark Madden says, he's the best Muppet in hockey. Yeah, but I mean, you, just, you can't play it that way. Now I wonder for the subsequent games, do they abandon that? And does that give Crosby more time and space? Or do they keep doing what they're doing and just give him... Yeah, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know the answer to that question. An opportunity to find a wide open guy. It was like he was finding the check down. You know, they blitzed and he hit the check down and they popped two big plays. Well, one thing that jumped out at me statistically was they got four goals in the game. They had four goals in four games against Shesterkin in the regular season. They had 83 shots on goal. They had 101 shots against Shesterkin in the four games. So, you know. And 143 attempts. I mean, it's amazing. They had 77 attempts through regulation. But to me, that says a lot more about what they're doing to get out of their own end through the neutral zone and set up properly in the offensive zone than it does cracking the code on Shesterkin. Like, I heard that kicked around after the game. Oh, they they broke Shesterkin. They figured out Shesterkin. Maybe, but I also saw him stop 79 shots. So, like, do they really break the code on Shesterkin or do they play for five hours? You know, like, I mean, it was 79 saves, which was the second most saves in a game by a goaltender in NHL history. So I don't know if they really broke the goalie when he almost set a National Hockey League record for saves in a game. You know, I I get they did not break the goalie. They They did not crack the code. But what they did was overwhelm him with numbers. They turned it into a mathematical equation. That's why I think the chances are so important, because. Let's take the save. Was it the second overtime where Kapanen had that gorgeous look in the slot and he ripped it about 100 miles an hour and yeah. made a, a yeah. glove save? That was I think it was the second, yes. Breathtaking save, right? The Penguins aren't getting that from Casey DeSmith or Louis Domingue. So they have to limit the Rangers' chances and they have to keep getting as many as they possibly can against Shesterkin. And that, you know, one's going to go in eventually. And the ones that went in, again, Jake Gensel all alone for a redirect at the top of the crease. Pretty tough for the goalie to stop that if you tip it right. Gensel in alone, and he came up with a gorgeous shot. I mean, perfectly placed. And then they were had a two-man advantage. Yeah, keep getting a two-man advantage. You'll crack the code. 
uh, the, the overtime goal, I mean, goals, something's going to go in at some point in overtime and uh, eventually the Penguins got one, but I, I thought they, they did what they had to do against him. They did not get frustrated when they uh, didn't have initial success. And also uh, if we're talking numbers, uh, maybe the biggest number of all one, that's the number of penalties the Penguins took. And they ended up giving uh, them- the, the officials last night. I mean, my God, uh, you know what you want to get a game over with. You could maybe call a penalty sometime over the course of three overtimes. That wouldn't be bad. Well, I, you know, I thought the one that they called uh, that they further reviewed in the interference. I, I thought the Rangers got screwed on that one, but the goalie uh, interference, you know, yeah. I thought it was a good call at first. And then when I watched it again, I thought, that the impetus into DeSmith was on the shove from Dumoulin. Like, uh, you know, I'm a little torn on it, Mike, because if Dumoulin... I don't think there's any question it was the impetus. Well, no, no, no. Where DeSmith was actually contacted at first when he got hit in the head, which is why some people thought he left the game with a concussion because he got clipped in the head on that play. I thought that came directly from the Rangers skater, but when you saw it from the back, you saw Dumoulin made the contact first and then the Rangers player went in and hit the goalie. So from that standpoint, I think it was a bad call. But at the same time, you know, if, if that goal, if that rule is on the books to discourage players from going in full bore to run over the goalie. And it is. That guy was going to run over the goalie even if, the, if Dumoulin didn't shove him. You know what I mean? Like Dumoulin shoving him was the cherry on the Sunday, but he was going to run into Smith anyway. Like it was going to be pure goaltender interference. If Dumoulin didn't contact him in the back. See, I don't think it was. I think he was making a hard cut across. Uh, you see guys do that a lot. That, that guy's a pretty good skater, but what really bugged me about it is, and I, I was searching my bag. I printed out the rule this morning. It is listed in the rule book as a referee's discretion kind of call, right? It's not black and white. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, how can you not go with the word of the guy who's on the ice with the players and instead you're making the determination off a of TV in Toronto? I, well, right. I, I, that, that boggles my mind. It's a judgment call and they judged it off a of TV because on the ice, they called it a goal and then Sullivan challenged yeah. it and then they reviewed it and then they said no goal. That That's the wrong way to do it, what, whatever you're going to call. Uh, if it's a judgment call, it's got to be, the judgment of somebody in the freaking building. The Rangers and Penguins right now, the series has the Penguins at minus 195 to win. The Rangers oh, are plus 155. Um, yeah, I think I got the Rangers at minus 112 and the Pens, if I had taken them to win the series at the outset, like you said, Mike, basically making it a pick them, they were minus 107. So it was narrow between the two teams, both at minus money. Uh, the Rangers are plus 155 right now. I jump on that. Heck, I might jump back in on it because, you know, these multi-overtime games, when you lose them, you really feel like you got kicked in the nuts, right? But when they happen in game one, I don't know about the trickle effect for the rest of the series, like if it happens in game four or game five, like a swing game with only a couple left. Now, I do see it potentially pinching the Rangers' speed game more than it does pinch the Penguins. I think there's some legitimacy in talking about that. But I think there's going to be an erosion effect in broccoli and spicy pork. And I do think that there's going to be an erosion effect for the Penguins if they don't have to, if they can't play with Raquel if he's out for a little bit after that hit. Well, there's also going to be an erosion effect if they don't do a better job of the forwards getting in front of Ryan Reeves and not letting him take 40 yard runs at the oh D my God. and ramming him through the back wall at high speed. But 
I found that. I, I thought I thought that Pedersen and Marino looked like I don't know Stallworth and Swan against the Raiders in the seventies. They were getting they, knocked around so bad. They took a beating. Here's that uh, just to double back to that goaltender interference thing. Here's how it's worded: uh, Goals should be disallowed if one, an attacking player either by his positioning or by contact impairs the goalkeeper's ability to move freely within his crease or defend his goal, or two. An attacking player initiates intentional or deliberate contact with a goalkeeper inside or outside of his goal crease. Incidental contact with a goaltender will be permitted and resulting goals allowed when such contact is initiated outside of the goal crease, provided the attacking player has made a reasonable effort to avoid such contact. Now, how do you tell on TV whether the guy made a reasonable effort? I don't know how you tell in person. You take a guess. Uh, the rule will be enforced exclusively in accordance with the on-ice judgment of the referees, but may be subject to a coach's challenge. You can't have both to me. It can't be judgment of the referee, but you can challenge it, and we'll take it to a third party. Yeah, I, I agree with your premise. Your premise of angst is sound. <laughs> but I would argue that, you know, if these guys ever explained themselves, that their rationale to that call would have been, yeah. oh, he was going to hit the goalie anyway. Plus, Dumoulin's the guy that took him out. And the first save was made, and then Dumoulin took everybody out. And that's why – and what a great play by uh, Kako, right? He's on his stomach, and he centers the puck, and the guy gets it with his skate to Heidel and, and buries it into the empty net. Uh, but, hey, that's the playoffs. I thought the Penguins got screwed on the Raquel hit. I thought oh, that – Oh, boy, was, did they. Um, and that's uh, a key guy, Lindgren, Ryan Lindgren, by the way. Uh, he was kind of in and out of the game in the latter stages, didn't play in the third overtime. Only played a little bit uh, in the third period. Uh, he's got some lower body thing going on. That's a key guy for them. So uh, you got to keep playing. You got to take whatever comes and uh, find a way to work around it. But, uh, you know, one penalty for the Penguins, if they can continue to do that. Now, they did give up the power play goal, but a lot of that Rangers offense is their power play. And uh, if it doesn't get a chance to play, then it's not going to hurt you. How about them peeling it back? to roughing in two minutes how do you come to that conclusion i mean it's a five minute interference down to a two minute roughing what the hell are you talking about uh, like is yeah. it still interference or charging like where does roughing come from like they're just making it up as they go along yeah have, they've done that in the nhl for a long time it's uh, a lot of hockey fans say it's uh it's the great greatest game in the worst league right how about the Panthers and the Rangers to bounce back in game twos, Mike? Rangers minus 143, Panthers minus 235. I like the Panthers to bounce back. Going to have to marry that with something else. Um, I had uh, actually had another six-teamer last night, and I had two baseball games. The Colorado thing was a layup. Uh, the uh, the other one was a layup. But refresh my memory. Um, oh, was that, Cal was that Calgary? Yeah, that wasn't, a, that wasn't a layup, though. Well, I mean, I, they won one nothing, but I felt yeah. really strongly about that. Uh, I had the Rangers to win last night, and I had the, the Panthers to win last night, which was supposed to be a layup. But the one thing, those long overtime games, your point about it's real early in the series was well taken. But traditionally, doesn't the team that loses in multiple overtimes have a hard time winning the next game? The team that loses in multiple overtimes loses the next game. Yeah, it certainly happened to the Penguins against the Flyers, right? Yeah, but that was like we were that was what like games uh, three and four didn't bother the Red Wings after the three overtimes in 2008. It did not. <laughs> Good won. point. They won in Pittsburgh. Marion Osa flipping it over Chris Osgood in his stomach at the very end. Yeah. Good point there.
I'm trying to remember now. I'm going back through. What about the Caps series? It must have bothered the Caps because the Caps well, were playing the, the Penguins. Cap- so the Penguins I, won that one. I think the Nedved goal won the series. Did it not? Or oh, was that, a, was that a series winner? Marty's sure. was a series winner against the Capitals in two overtimes. Now I'm going to have to check this out during the break. We'll check that out during the break. Real quick before we go, Mike, because I do want to get to some draft recap too. Tonight, Hurricanes, Bruins, Maple Leafs, Lightning in the East. Um, everybody impressed with the Maple Leafs to the point they're a minus 137 favorite. Hurricanes minus 124. I'm more inclined to go with the Hurricanes winning again against Boston than I am with Toronto leaving with a 2-0 advantage. Um, plus 118 uh, is the number right now for the Lightning. I like that. Uh, I actually took Tampa to win that series. They were uh, slight underdogs. And I took St. Louis. Uh, I think uh, they were plus 125. And I think Carolina is better than Boston. I don't think Boston has the goaltending. And I think uh, Tampa's going to bounce back and get a split tonight. Uh, Western Conference, Wild and Blues, Kings and Oilers. The Oilers at minus 200. I like them tonight. The Wild and the Blues. I'm just kind of down on Minnesota, and I like St. Louis. If you're giving me plus 120, I'll take the Blues. St. Louis was – well, both of those teams kind of sprinted to the finish, but St. Louis has dominated that matchup the last couple, three years in the regular season. And uh, I don't think your guy Mark Andre is enough to uh, stem that tide. Blues are a really good team. Is it Blues- definitely Mark Andre tonight, or they're going to Talbot? Did you see? I did not. I wouldn't be surprised if they shake it up and go to Talbot. Yeah, I, I, the Blues are underrated. Uh, won the cup a couple of years ago. Play a heavy game. They're pain in the ass to play against. And uh, Tampa was probably a team that was waiting to flip the switch all year. And uh, found out you can't necessarily do that instantaneously in the postseason. But uh, I think Toronto is uh, an accident waiting to happen. I almost took the Kings in the series against Edmonton because I think Edmonton is an accident waiting to happen. Applying that baseball theory. Now, not that these teams are as bad as the uh, Orioles and the Reds. Mm-hmm. But it, Minnesota is what, what's the, the list of Minnesota wild playoff accomplishments uh, is not long, right? <laughs> no, it's uh, not. Toronto, I, think I think it's one series long, is it not? Yeah, Toronto dropped the puck for its playoff opener 55 years to the day after last winning oh. the Stanley Cup in 1967. These are these are trends you need to keep an eye on in this business. All right, when we come back, we will take a look at the draft because we haven't done that with Mike yet. Plenty to talk about there. We'll recap the gambling and the picking from the NFL draft. That's when we come back in 30 seconds here on the Pittsburgh CityCast. UFC 274 is Saturday, and Bet Rivers has a special profit boost for the big event. All players that log in on Saturday will receive a 20% profit boost on a UFC 274 parlay. Make your ideal UFC 274 combo on the main events, undercard, or combination of both. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This profit boost packs an extra punch at Bet Rivers. Bet on the app or at BetRivers.com. Presented by Rivers Casino. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Continuing on here on the Pittsburgh CityCast, brought to you by Bet Rivers. Mike Pursuta, Tim Benz with you on a Wednesday as we roll along here with uh, some analysis of the draft because we talked plenty of hockey in our first segment, lots of baseball too. 
recapping how we did with draft bets and how the Steelers did in picking up players. Mike, how did your SEC over-under go? I think, if I'm remembering right, Lewis seen with pick 32, the SEC over. And I think while there's this huge run on wide receivers at over-under five and a half, it sat there at six. It cleared early and just stayed there. The quarterbacks had just won. Obviously, that went under. So there was some uh, fun drama there for gamblers who were watching the draft as if the suspense was enough for Steelers fans going through pick 20. You know, I went one for two on my conference plays. I didn't uh, play any uh, individual positions or anything like that. But I had, uh, as an underdog bet, I had under 10.5 for the SEC. I had over 6.5 for the Big Ten. And I had over 4.5 for the ACC, I wound up going one and two. I lost the SEC, won the Big Ten, and lost the ACC. Here's what happened to me, Tim, in the SEC stuff. Um, I knew it was going to be real close, but I did not perceive Quay Walker, Kair Elam, or Lewis Seen to be slam dunk first-round picks, and I thought there was also a chance Devontae Wyatt wouldn't be a first-round pick because I heard there was a lot of off-the-field stuff with him. But even if he would would have been taken out of that equation. There was three guys there and uh Kair Elam of Florida, that turned out to be a double whammy because he got drafted in the first round and uh, Andrew Booth Jr., the corner from Clemson, who I think is the better long-term player because he's bigger and more physical. He did not go in the first round as I anticipated. So that, uh, that would have at least got the ACC over, but uh, Hey, you know, no guts, no glory. Like I said, we're, we're doing this stuff. I'm glad you brought that up because that was a losing proposition. I want to acknowledge when I lose as well as when I win. Well, you managed to avoid a loser too in Sauce Gardner, right? Because it ended up being Stingley who went before Gardner, the first guy at the position. Oh, yeah. Good story. Glad you brought that up. I I managed to avoid two losers. I was out in Vegas and uh, we were doing some shows and doing some running around and I didn't get a chance to get to the sports book uh, until – three hours before the draft, four hours before the draft. And that stuff goes dark the day before. At least that's what I was told. Uh, if you're going to bet, this guy gets picked at this spot. You got to do it 24 hours. In-house, in it goes dark. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. I Now, I had Houston figured right for cornerback because Lovey Smith basically said they were going to pick a cornerback just like Mike Tomlin said they were going to pick a quarterback. You know, it, they said it without saying it, but it was so obvious in both of the pre-draft pressers that those guys did. I just thought, and I, it's, it's ironic because I actually like Stingley's potential, Derek Stingley Jr. I like him better than Gardner because I think he could be the greater player down the road. But Gardner seemed to be cornerback one in everybody's eyes. And I sort of let myself get influenced there. And then I thought Kenny Pickett was going six to Carolina. Really did. Uh, but I didn't get to lose those because I got boxed out. It's kind of like the movie Let It Ride where he doesn't get to the window. Yeah, right. Yes, yes. I didn't lose. (laughs) I didn't lose. (laughs) The ones that I got as well positionally were under on the running backs because I didn't think what would go in the first round. Didn't. And then over on the safeties, and I just sweat that one out because Dax and Scene didn't go until 31 and 32. I felt so good about it. I'm like, what's going on here? And sure enough, they ended up going. So it was a little sweat at the end of the first round, but I was so consumed with Kenny Pickett 
being picked by the Steelers. I didn't have much time to really worry about who was on the clock when I was still pounding stuff out for the next morning for the trip. Well, I had the same thing going with that big 10 over because that just made it over six and a half. And I needed Hill and Carloftis uh, right before him. Karloftis, yeah. George Karloftis. You're, you're probably thinking at that point, well, Kansas City's taking a receiver. Nope. <laughs> no, they didn't. Thank you, Greek freak. Uh, so there's some draft recap for you. Uh, as far as what the Steelers did, Mike. Those like round it, ones are great, by the way. I just, I don't know. Fun. I don't know if we'll still be doing this next year, but you want to talk about bang for the buck. That takes a while. And it's, it goes down to the wire, man. You don't know until you know. I'm, you know, I wish I would have gone two of three winning instead of two or three losing, but it was fun. Well, let's hope we're still doing it because the over under on this contract is over one and a half years. So okay. get a second draft in there. So let's let's see where it goes. But um, regarding what the Steelers did strategically and, and the execution of their draft, what do you think about how they did with taking Pickett and then wide receiver pickins in round two? And uh, Leal in round three. What'd you think of the uh, first two days of their draft? Um, you're I don't want to much more of a Malik Willis guy the whole time. Yeah, so. I, I don't want to rip it because I thought quarterback, they just didn't take the quarterback that I thought they should have taken. Part of the beauty of Willis to me was that he is a guy that you had to put on the back burner and let him marinate for a while. And this way you bring Trubisky in, new guy, new team get him up to speed, get him as prepared as you possibly can. I think we kicked this around. You had mentioned, uh, I don't know, a month or so ago, don't throw numbers at the quarterback position and fix yeah, it that way. Don't try to take care of it with clutter. I, yeah. I think you, you fix defensive back and you fix wide receiver and you fix offensive line with people, defensive yeah. line. You fix it with people. You don't fix quarterback with numbers. That numbers turns into clutter awful quick. I think they cluttered it. And uh, we'll see what uh, effect that might have on training camp and how ready whoever the guy is in September actually is ready to play. But I'm not going to rip it because I was critical of the Ben Roethlisberger pick in 2004, kind of for the same reason, uh, assuming Pickett's not the starter, which maybe he is, maybe he isn't. But I didn't like the Roethlisberger pick because I didn't see it helping the 2004 Steelers. And when they made that pick, the Steelers, they didn't see it helping the 2004 Steelers. He went to camp as number three, and mm -hmm. then Charlie Batch and eventually Tommy Maddox got out of the way via injury, and they had to play him, and look what happened. So if they think Kenny Pickett's all that and a bag of chips, as our buddy Phil Bork likes to say, if they think he's that good, go for it. Take your guy. Um, next round, Pickens has a chance to be the best receiver in the draft, but – Travis Jones, the uh, nose tackle from Connecticut, I think he's going to be a tremendous player. Yeah, by I them, love him. By them passing on him for a receiver, I can only surmise that they think Stephon Tewitt is playing. And we got more cryptic, uh, you know, non-responsive responses about Stephon Tewitt. Mike Tomlin said something about there's no timetable. We don't need a timetable. But I like the way uh, or the direction we and he are headed in or something like that. They must think Tewitt is going to play because uh, if he doesn't, they got a problem on D-line. And the guy they drafted, uh, DeMarvin Leal out of Texas A&M, uh, very interesting prospect. He's a great athlete. Uh, did but he's pretty... as close to Bud Dupree as he is to Fon Tewitt. Yeah, All-American in A&M this year. But he's, he's not uh, a nose tackle slash defensive tackle interior rush guy. He does his best work in a sub package rushing from the interior and he thinks he's an edge guy. So I, you know, I, I see him contributing situationally at best, 
I still wonder if they're going to stop the run or not. Maybe Stavon Tuitt goes a long way toward uh, allowing them to stop the run this year between Tuitt and Miles Jack. But um, And Devin Lloyd was still on the board a couple of days before they decided to not give Devin Bush his fifth-year option. Yeah, and that uh, that's there's some light shed as well uh, in the other direction. Uh, you know, they passed on Devin Lloyd for Pickett. Now you've, you've, you've passed on a guy at a position where you clearly don't have any faith in one of your projected starters. Which is surprising. And I, one thing that I walk away from very much worried about, and I asked Kevin Colbert about this on Saturday after the draft ended, you know, to get his perspective. And maybe it was because it was Kevin's last draft press conference with us. I don't know, but he seemed to answer the question directly and honestly. <laughs> so, you know, for whatever reason, there was. He, he wanted to see what that felt like. Yeah, I know, just for a change. Hey, <laughs> just let's get out the door. Hey, I wonder what, you know. I said, Kevin, you know, you mentioned before we got to the second day after Pickett was selected, how much you love this quarterback class. Nobody else seemed to. Were you surprised at that? And, you know, he could have soft-pedaled it, but he said, yeah, yes. It sure sounds like the Steelers were higher on this quarterback draft class than the rest of the NFL was by a country mile because those guys didn't even go in the second round. So, like, did they not only potentially over-evaluate Pickett, did they over-evaluate the whole class? Well, uh, as the great Troy Polamalu used to like to say to nine out of the ten questions he'd be asked at a given time, time will tell. But I'll say this. I'm dying on the Malik Willis Hill, and I think he went to a perfect spot. He went to a place That's a great spot for him. where he can marinate and where they have a good team around him. And after they watch Ryan Tannehill be not good enough in the playoffs again, he'll get his shot next year, but he'll – They'll have a chance to coach him up to speed. Maybe he'll do some gadget stuff in the meantime and help out a little bit, stick his hand in the pile here and there. I think Malik Willis is going to be a player. Um, I, I um, Corral is really intriguing to me. I know he's he's kind of a slight guy, and that that scares some people. But uh, you know, he wouldn't be the first guy to not be the Greek god of quarterbacks and and, and still be able to survive. Um, the, stay tuned on these guys. Just because they got picked where they got picked isn't a commentary on them or the validity of the teams doing the picking. You know, because as we all know, Tom Brady went in the sixth round. So to quote uh, Brad Pitt as Billy Bean in Moneyball, you think you know, but you don't. You don't. I would be surprised if Ryan Tannehill is a stealer next year backing up Kenny Pickett. Wow. I haven't gotten that far yet. I'm still trying to figure out who's going to start this year, but, uh, um, would they trade Trubisky? Oh, I, I mean, you think... can get something for Trubisky. They got something for Josh Dobbs. True. I mean, they can, if, well, if not it, this year, are not you, the last time they traded him. Yes. Yeah. Are you, uh, intimating, uh, Mason might be, uh, moving on down the line or, you know, you, you keep well, the seventh I'm, round I'm pick. Yeah, I'm intimating that they don't go into week one with Mitch Trubisky or Mason Rudolph as their third quarterback because that's useless. There's no reason to have one of those two guys as your third quarterback. And I also think it's an indictment if Pickett is your third quarterback because he's 24 by that point, and he is also allegedly the most cable-ready of all the quarterbacks, which is part of the reason why you drafted him in the first place. Like, did you draft a guy at number 20 overall 
to not have him start until he's 25 or 26. I don't think so. And I don't think you get much, nor is anybody going to give you anything for Mason Rudolph because the belief is you're just going to cut him anyway. So do you trade Trubisky and get a, a, a better pick and go with Pickett because you got him now? I mean, if Trubisky was basically – what I'm taking away from the draft more than anything else is Trubisky was insurance. Like, Trubisky was insurance if they didn't get a quarterback. Well, now they got the quarterback. So do you want Trubisky around just to be a, a more expensive backup or an equally expensive backup to what Rudolph is when you're going to have one of the guys inactive on game day? You well, could actually get ta- – you could, you could get a decent pick for Trubisky maybe. You could, except the whole leg just had a crack at him, and uh, the Steelers signed him for uh, two years, $14 million. So if somebody really wanted yeah, Mitch Trubisky, but now, but, but he now was pretty maybe. affordable. Uh, the other thing I but hold on, he, Mike. Now maybe, now maybe, especially with Daniel Jones getting not getting the fifth year option, does New York say, "Well, geez, Pittsburgh got this guy in a pretty nice deal. Why don't we get him?" Well, they got some ties there, certainly, um, with the with the coaching staff. Because that was I, allegedly the other team, right? That he was looking at besides the Steelers was the Giants. I, yeah, because the offensive coordinator from Buffalo is the head coach now. But I I think he was insurance, but I think he was more than that. And I think they're going to let camp play out and see how ready Pickett is. Oh, yeah, uh, you can make this trade at the end of August, sure. Or you could not do anything. And I think Rudolph could be your third guy uh, because he's real cheap. He's, he doesn't cost you anything. And uh, you don't have to force feed Pickett. You can go into it, you know, hoping to play him sooner rather than later. But you can uh, start the season with the veteran, uh, particularly if he has a strong camp, if, if it's clear who's better. At that point, you know, it'd be easy to tell because they both play kind of the same game and they should be doing the same stuff. Yeah. Um, I, I, the Trubisky thing was really growing on me. That's why that's oh, uh, yes, it was. And it was for a lot of people too. And whether the Steelers yeah. did this directly or indirectly, because they didn't talk a lot between Trubisky's signing and the draft. And when they were spoken to at like the owners' meetings and whatnot, they were, you know, a lot of times like Tomlin was talking about replay. Tomlin was talking about uh, overtime. Tomlin was talking about the Brian Flores situation. Like that, that's what most of the quotes were spent on. So like he would get a question or two about Trubisky in those settings. And that was it. Whatever dialogue was advanced about how great of a move it was to get Mitch Trubisky before Kenny Pickett. Like a lot of that was sort of leaked out there and it was, you know, people close to the team and, you know, Labriola's asked and answered and, you know, whatever people were hearing on the inside about why Trubisky was a good fit. Like that to me was a smokescreen from the Steelers. That was, he's better than Mason. We can't say anything all that great about him. We'll let people figure out why we did it. And if we don't get a quarterback, then that will be the narrative going into the season. We'll, we'll talk ourselves into optimism about old Mitch, but we only got him because he's better than Rudolph. Well, I'll say this. If, uh, if their goal was to not have Mason Rudolph play and their goal absolutely positively should be to not have Mason Rudolph play, they've done a phenomenal job of insulating yes. against that. And I think, I think they have two guys right now. They are way better at the most important position on the field than they were last year. Mike, we're going to go back in time when we go to Latrobe this summer, though. It is going to take us back not only to 2019, it's going to take us back to 2010. It's going to take us back to the year that Roethlisberger was suspended going into camp, and we knew he was going to miss at least four, if not six games. 
Hey, Tim, I go back to 1996, Jim Miller, Mike Tomazak, and Cordell Stewart. There you go. Yes. Uh, you don't go back far enough to uh, Bubby Scott Campbell and Todd Blackledge, though, do you? Was it no Woodley Woodley Blackledge? No, nah, I don't go back that far. I got I, I did uh, live through Bub, Bubby or Neil and uh, be able to tell about that. But uh, I don't know. It's, it, it's, it, it's fascinating. And, you know, is their quarterback as good as the Bengals quarterback or the Ravens quarterback or the Browns quarterback until he gets suspended? No, but they are way better than what they had last year. I love Ben. I think he was the greatest quarterback in Steelers history and a guy he was better than in my eyes won four Super Bowls but uh the Ben we saw last year was had limitations and uh they got two guys now I think they can win with so how it sorts out it's gonna be fun to watch they are plus I think it's plus 255 to make the playoffs what do you think if you had to make a call right now I'm gonna make you make a call right now still seven teams right huh uh seven teams yeah yeah it'll sneak in there They'll sneak in. All right. Yeah. I think they're an eight win team this year. I might even re I might even rege uh, regenerate my eight, 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 eight and one. one. Yes. You, I might go should. eight, eight, one again. Or, I'm going to ride that until I die until my, they win 10 or lose 10. I might go eight, eight and one. My one uh, asterisk on this whole thing is I am uh, not in the camp that hand size doesn't matter. And I know you are. I want to see that how, how that plays out with Pickett in the NFL. Uh, he played in Pittsburgh. Uh, weather's that good there. Yeah, it's a little different. Wake Forest versus the uh, Baltimore Ravens. Yeah, well, you know uh, uh, when I love their draft. By the way, aside from not getting a receiver at all, I love their draft. I don't know why they didn't. Answer me this: Why does everybody love Tyler Linderbaum and hate Kendrick Green? And they're the same size guy. Um, there's no that's that's fair. Well, at least he knows what he's doing. So maybe he's figured out how to use his right hand. Yeah, so, I mean, is it brain surgery? Nobody's ever moved from guard to center in the history of friggin' football. Well, are you saying that as an indictment of Linderbaum, or are you saying that as potential praise for Green that he can figure it out? The latter. Okay, well, that I'm willing to buy. That I'm willing to buy. People that watch the Steelers, and you know who you are out there. Some of you are probably listening to this. Oh, yeah, Kendrick Green sucks. Kendrick Green sucks. Kendrick Green sucks. And then, oh, we got to get Linderbaum. Really? I've heard a lot of people say their tape reflects this, a lot of the same things. You know, like, that's so dumb. It's like hiring the head coach of the uh, U.S. National Team <laughs> Development Program to be your school's hockey coach, and then he stinks for six years, so you fire him, and you go get the next coach of the U.S. National Team Development Program. I don't know who would ever do that. It's weird. That would be a silly thing to do. All right, that'll do it uh, for this week's. Yeah, it's just Michigan State if people haven't picked up on that. Thank God we're good at football and basketball again. Pittsburgh City Cast brought to you by Bet Rivers. Uh, one more coming up this week. We'll get Seth Werber's take on the first round for the Penguins, and uh, we'll go into the weekend and we'll be prepared for a bet against Mitch Keller. What day is it, Mike? Saturday. Saturday this week. I don't even so, know who they're playing, but I know he's pitching. Oh, you know what, though? It's Keller against the Reds. Oh, then we got we got to pause it then. Yeah. Can baseball yeah. end in a tie? <laughs> it no. Bet against Mitch Keller Day takes a day off when it's the Reds. It might be bet on Mitch Keller oh, Day. That'd be interesting. Why not? Or or you know, I can flip flop things from football to baseball, and I can predict a tie, and the Pirates can go 60-101 and one. <laughs> this is the Pittsburgh. As long as they don't go sixty-six and something, you yes. figure it out any way you want, Tim. <laughs> This is the Pittsburgh CityCast brought to you by Bet Rivers.